What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you on a Monday evening after the Los Angeles Clippers fell for the first time this season against the Phoenix Suns last night and get ready for a back-to-back, which should be very interesting considering some new injury news. Just when you think the Clippers have a clean bill of health, something just happens to pop up just the way it always does. And who better to break the first three games down than my friend Justin Wilson at LA Clippers Film on Twitter. You know him, you read him, he spits out all these incredible nuggets, knows the game well, and he's back on the Ethos Clippers podcast. Justin, what's up, my guy? What's going on? Happy to be back. Uh, thank you for that kind intro. Um, of course. It's been a, it's been a fun three games. Um, been a confusing three games, and I'm sure we're going to get all into it. But, um, yeah, happy to be back. Yeah, so here's, um, here's the thing. I didn't quite expect the season to start this way, Justin. Um, and mm-hmm. record-wise, it's exactly how I thought it would go. Uh, because that Phoenix game had schedule loss written all over it since the second the schedule was released. The second night of a back-to-back, you were on the road the first game, playing a very good Phoenix team the second night of the back-to-back. So the record doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is that this Clippers team looks way different than what I expected in certain phases of the game. And I think it requires a lot of deep dive to break it all down, but I want to start with Kawhi because I feel like that's the best place to start. None of us had any idea, first of all, what his injury was like last year. We were all speculating, okay, could he come back? I know there was some talk. Even I said, you know what? He got his contract. It it would make sense that now that he's been paid, he may come back at the end of the season and because he's got really nothing to lose. If he gets re-injured, he's already been paid. So let's see. Kawhi doesn't come back, obviously. The Clippers don't even make it um, into the actual playoffs after that play-in stuff. Then we don't really get many updates about Kawhi. We don't get any updates on him playing. We don't really get any updates on five on five. Then all of a sudden, like when media day happens, he's back. So we're like, all right, cool, he's back. And then next thing we know, all right, he's playing. Cool, he's playing. And his minutes are limited during preseason. We expected that. Then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, hey, he might be coming off the bench in game one. And we're like, what the hell? Like, we're expecting him to start. There was no talk whatsoever from anybody, I thought, coming into this season that he would come off the bench. Then he's sitting on a second night of a back-to-back, which we expected. But the minutes just have been way lower than we all thought. He's not appearing in games until the second quarter. I want to hear your thoughts on Kawhi and where he is right now, because I know you've been saying some things that have made a lot of sense, and it goes back to what I was saying. There really hasn't been much news about him. For all we know, he could have really just started playing five-on-five right before media day, and now this kind of is his preseason. So give me your thoughts on Kawhi and what's happened so far with his minutes and how he's being managed. Well, I think you're not alone, and I think even people within the Clippers – actual staff did not know that he was going to um, come off the bench. Um, I remember listening to Law Murray and Andrew Greif from The Athletic and the LA Times when they were on the Lob the Jam podcast recently and prior to the season, and they both expected Kawhi Leonard to start and play like 28, 30 minutes. You knew he wasn't going to 
play back to backs, but you thought that after, I mean, he hasn't played since June of 2021. It's October of 2022. So you're thinking, okay, enough time has passed since um, surgery post-op that he'd be able to play. And so um, it's, it's been quite the shock that um, I think it's been quite the shock that he not only is playing not only is he not starting, but he's also only playing like 20, 21 minutes. And that's that's pretty rough on the surface. But I think it's important to try and contextualize what actually is happening. And once you, once you actually realize what's happening, it kind of makes sense. So Kawhi is someone who religiously is anti-515 basketball um, in the summertime. And I think that has an effect on his confidence as it pertains to trusting um, the knee, being able to um, handle a lot of like responsibility for that knee. And so if he's not playing five on five, I remember um, Ohm from ESPN going on ESPN, I think it was NBA Today or something, in July, and he said that Kawhi had not yet been cleared for five-on-five. And so we know for a fact that as of mid-July, he was not cleared to play five-on-five anyway. And so you have someone who wasn't cleared to play until that date, and even when he was cleared, he was not playing pick up basketball and he did so he doesn't have those reps of playing five on five basketball with his um with with that surgically repaired acl and so when you think about it all he has really is other than a few light controlled scrimmages behind closed doors he has a handful of minutes in the preseason and two games and so when you think about that and you think about how they want to manage him, 20, 20 minutes, I think, makes a lot more sense when you realize that he got cleared to play basketball relatively recently and wasn't really playing pickup basketball or five-on-five scrimmaging at all, really not until training camp. And even when he was in training camp, it was some controlled stuff. So um, that's what – that's once I – kind of looked at it from that perspective i've become far more understanding of the harsh minutes restrictions that we have for him and even with that i think i've thought physically the first two games that he's played he's looked really good he's looked incredible um he's looked so encouraging to me to where i'm not even now i'm he's put me at ease like i have no doubts that um unless something wonky happens by the time april hits he'll be the Kawhi leonard of old i i the and one that he got yesterday um against the phoenix suns was just like peak Kawhi leonard to me and so um yeah, it, it's his minutes restrictions and the rotations not coming in to midway to the second quarter, I think has had a trickle-down effect, and it's really impacted virtually everything that we're trying to accomplish. And it's one of the reasons why I've said that we're basically an extended preseason right now. But the most important thing is Kawhi Leonard. You're not, we're not winning the title without Kawhi Leonard. And if he needs these reps, these 20 minute reps to get acclimated into the NBA back and get his trust in his knee back, then we just, we're just going to have to accept that. And hopefully we win these games in spite of that while he regains his confidence. 
you just hit on a lot um, that I was going to ask you. So you, uh, I basically can, you already summarized when I was going to ask you how you think he looks. And um, so that's good. I, I agree with you. I think it's great. Um, I think that one of my takes, and I think that you may agree with this, is that I think this is great for the Clippers. I think that the fact that he's getting a slow start and that the Kawhi Miles are not going to be used very early on in the season and that we're going to build him up so that he's basically ready. He's like this puppy that starts off and then you grow and then all of a sudden you feed him. Great for Kawhi, but not much for the Clippers. Exactly, and that's going to be my next point. Um, But I think it's great for Kawhi, and I think it'll end up being great for the Clippers because they'll have Kawhi. But you brought up something at the end of what you were just saying that I do want to discuss, and that's why I wanted to start with Kawhi because it leads perfectly into our next conversation, and that's how the Clippers have looked. And the answer to that one is not good. Um, they are 2-1, and one, but they look really discombobulated on offense, and I think you can look at a lot of different parts of the Clippers. Number one, PG came out before the season and said, I'm the number two guy. Well, guess what? When this is going on and Kawhi's coming off the bench and he's only playing 18, 20 minutes a game, you're the number one. Um, and so mentally, I think PG needs to get there. And I think your brother said that on Twitter and he was spot on that you need PG to be the guy and he needs to figure that out. And like you always say, he needs to get 10 threes up per game and he needs to be that guy. And he just hasn't done that so far to start the season. And then we talk about Norm Powell, how he could be the number three guy on this Clippers team. I've made a case that I think Zoo is the third most important player on this team, but there are people that think, okay, Norm Powell, you know, he could be that scorer. When Kawhi or PG sitting, he can shoulder the load. He looks really bad to start the season as well because it feels like he's forcing it and he doesn't really know what his role is. And I think that's the most important thing there is I don't think he knows where he fits in with his team right now. And that has had a trickle-down effect to other guys as well. And so, yes, Back to what I was saying, it's great that Kawhi is, sitting, is not playing as much right now and is using this as a preseason, but it's going to have an effect on the Clippers. But I'm not worried about that, Justin, because the fact they've won two of three and the fact they have a really easy schedule to start this season. I said before I'd like to see them at nine and three after 12 games before they go into, I believe it's that Brooklyn game um, uh, in mid-November. I think nine and three would be great. Eight and four is just fine. As long as you win games... You'll have time to figure it out, and I trust Ty Lue to get the team ready to go. So that's where I am right now with this, is that I think it's just it screwed everything up. And I, I don't know what I just said that stands out the most to you, but curious your take on the trickle-down effect. Well, the, the, um, the last part that you said about just them winning games um, is so important to me because I think for a while at least until Kawhi Leonard is playing 30 minutes a night and he's back in a starting lineup, a lot of what we're seeing is just not reflective of the, of the team that we're going to be. Mm-hmm. It's so not reflective of who we're going to be that none of this really means anything. It's really just preseason that counts. And so um, this is where you're happy that the team has, is built the way that they are from a depth perspective. And you hope that until Kawhi Leonard gets acclimated to the season, you hope that by that point we've, we're still winning because the, we have to win. And so we're blessed in that um, 
the schedule is what it is and we can bring Kawhi Leonard, hopefully knock on wood, we can bring him along slowly while still keeping up, keeping pace from a wins perspective. But <clears throat> excuse me. Um, when you, when, when you, when you talk about the trickle down effect of Kawhi's um, his, his minutes and his rotation, I I've just felt that he's, he's a player that um, he's unique in that he does not adjust per se. Like he plays a particular style of basketball. It's mid post heavy. It's low post heavy. It's fadeaways. Like, and so when he's not on the floor, we play a particular way. And that Laker game opening night illustrated that perfectly. Um, We were really picking rolls, hitting a short roll, spraying out to the corner. But the moment Kawhi Leonard got into the game all of that came to a halt and we were trying to find him, trying to get him going. And so as a team, I think what you're seeing is we're trying to balance Kawhi getting up to speed for the season while also everyone else who's probably further along trying to win games as well. And so you're trying to balance those two things. And as a result, you have a team that's like 29th in offense, um, like 29th in three-point attempts, something that like we've been since Kawhi's been here, middle of pack, at least in attempts. And so we're not we're not even getting up threes in the manner that we typically do. Um, we're we're just any offensive stat to start the season, we are like near the bottom. Does that concern and you? No, not even, not even a little bit. Because as as I am, um, as I said like a couple minutes ago, none of this is like these. The data, the data points that we're accumulating right now are just not even worth digesting to me. Yeah, because. Kawhi Leonard is not even starting the game and he's not even coming into the games until six minutes in the second quarter. Like until that changes, none of this is serious. Like, and, and hopefully we win in spite of that, but like, that is that's just the mark of a team who is not taking this regular season as serious as say other teams. And for good reason, right? We can't win without Kawhi Leonard. We have to protect Kawhi Leonard at all costs. And if he and the medical staff feel like this is the best approach to get him into the season, then so be it. But um, hopefully I, I've loved what I've seen out of Marcus Morris. Um, John Wall and Luke Kennard both to me have been like just complete revelations. And hopefully we can ride some of these guys and get some wins in the process. But um if you told me before the season that Kawhi Leonard, the team's best player, was going to have this kind of a rotation um, as far as like a minutes restriction and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would have expected anything more because he it's not a it's not a bench player or a rotation player that's getting acclimated in this way it's the team's best player you know what i mean it's the highest paid player or the second highest paid player on the team so that that to me has left a lot of things in flux um you can kind of see paul george like not really not it's a lot of mental blocks i think going on with this team like you can see paul george not really knowing his place as far as like when to be aggressive and when to be passive like i think he's taken like 12 or less shots in two of the first three games of the season 
which cannot happen. That yeah. just can't happen. Not when Kawhi Leonard is not playing back-to-backs, and even when he's playing, he's only playing 20 minutes. Like, that just can't happen. And you've got Norm Powell, who, to me, is pressing, but he's pressing in an understandable way because he's trying to figure out where he fits into all of this. And so, yeah, um, Kawhi's minutes restriction and his approach to the season has put a lot of things in flux. It's fucked the Clippers up, quite frankly. But to me, that's okay. And I think our depth will allow us to keep pace from a wins perspective. And once Kawhi gets acclimated, we'll probably take off. And who knows? We may be better off with these reps that Luke Kennard and John Wall are getting in the process. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, here's two things I want to ask you. First of all, I want to ask you, how many games is this sustainable for? Because I would think that you would probably want to get him back in the mix. I think you only need 30 to 40 games of your regular rotation guys ready to go. But you run the risk that the longer you wait to acclimate Kawhi, the more likely it is that somebody else is hurt and you're not actually able to acclimate with your guy. So I'm curious to see how long you think it's sustainable. And second of all, Take away the whole PG illness thing, which is what I was alluding to in the beginning, that PG will not play in that game against uh, Oklahoma City tomorrow night. But do you think this has any effect on the chemistry in the locker room? Because we came into the season thinking this team was certainly one of the strongest in the NBA and that they had a bond that could not be broken. They brought in guys like Nico Batum, Rocco, who say the team is great. They treat him great. John Wall has talked about how great the Clippers are. But when you have a guy that you're babying off to the side, that, sure, everyone knows, hey, he's a guy that's probably the key to winning the title. But the more you go and you baby this guy, and the more everything revolves around him, and you mention how the offense completely revolves around him and changes when he's in the game, you have a chance to lose some guys, especially some veterans. So does that concern you at all? Um, I'm hopeful that by game 10, game 11 or 12, around that area, that Kawhi will feel comfortable enough to take that jump mm-hmm. to play um, that 30 minutes a night. I'm no doctor, but um, 15, 16 months post-op, um, the ACL is is fully healed and so from this perspective because he plays so little five on five in the off season i think he just wants to get his feet wet before jumping into the deep end and i think around game 10 or so game 11 or so will be when we see Kawhi actually take that jump into the deep end um as in regards to whether or not i'm concerned if it'll affect team chemistry um Quite frankly, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, I think, obviously, I'm not in the locker room, but it feels like we have a mature locker room that's completely understanding of the position that Kawhi has with the team and are, from a human perspective, completely understanding of him trying to work his way back into the NBA after having a very serious knee injury, right? He's not, he's not, he didn't sit out because of an ankle, right? Any NBA player understands the grind of trying to make it back from a serious injury, such as like a blown ACL. So um, I don't, I, I think we have a mature, older veteran locker room that's fully capable of handling what comes with 
having Kawhi Leonard on your team at this stage of his career. So, no, that doesn't worry me. I agree with you, by the way. Um, I was just curious your take on it because I think that the group that's with the Clippers, they're in it to win a title. I don't think they're in it to for numbers. I don't think they're in it for glory. And you look at guys, like I said, Nico Batum, Robert Covington, John Wall. These guys are not really highly paid dudes. And they know that they may not play a ton in certain games, but they're here to win a title. And they know the Clippers cannot win a title without Kawhi Leonard. And so they need Kawhi to be healthy. So I think everyone's buying in. And the one thing we don't know is how privy to all this information is his teammates are. And how much his teammates knew, hey, Kawhi was not cleared. Hey, he's not going to be back until this time. Hey, he's going to come off the bench initially. We don't know that kind of stuff. We don't know how long his teammates have known what's going on and what the plan is. And if they've known about it and it hasn't caught them off guard, then I don't think there's any reason for any concern. I would, um, I don't know this, but my guess is that it may have caught them by surprise, which is part of why... um, our offense has come has started at with such a rocky start. Mm-hmm. I I I don't. This is just my guess. Um, we were starting Kawhi Leonard in the preseason games that he was playing. Now, yeah. obviously, he wasn't um, playing real minutes, like from a from a counting stats perspective, and um, we weren't worried about whether or not he'd be able to close. So that may have impacted how he would have played in the preseason if we were concerned about that. But nevertheless. Um, by all by all accounts, like um, he was starting in the preseason, everyone around who covered the team suggested that he was ready to play. He had he was ready to like not play the full thirty five minutes a night, but twenty eight to thirty. Um, so like I I truly do think that like um, when Chris Haynes made that report that that was a relatively recent development and that kind of put us really behind the eight ball. Like mm-hmm. a prime example would be looking at last night against the Phoenix Suns where um I don't think there's any way in the world that the Phoenix Suns are better than the Clippers personally, but they are definitely further along in their team development. And I think if the Clippers can win in spite of not being I, I think I, I tweeted I tweeted it out though that they are far away. They are very far away from a development perspective. And, um, you know, that's okay. To me, that's okay. In this climate of the NBA, um, where not just Kawhi, but a lot of teams are protective of their stars' health, um, you may not need to win as many games. And you also may not need to be seated as high in order to win a title. So um, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that the schedule, like we said earlier, really helps. I mean, Oklahoma City, Tuesday and Thursday, two games the Clippers should win. Come back. Without SGA. Yeah, I mean, it's they're just a team that's in shambles. Josh Giddy has a sprained ankle as well, so we'll see if he even plays. New Orleans, Ingram's got a concussion. Zion fell hard, and he's uh, on the injured um, injury report. Herb, Herb Jones is on the uh, injury report, so Herb may not play. So, I mean, who knows with New Orleans what you're going to end up getting on Sunday. And then Monday is the second night of a back-to-back, and it's at home. So it's back-to-back two games at home instead of the 12-12 nonsense we're used to. It's 12 and then 7.30. So that certainly does help. 
And then, of course, you play the Lakers a little bit later on. You've got Cleveland and Utah at home. Utah, of course, has been good. But still, it's, you have a very friendly schedule to start. So if your timeline lines up where the Clippers are going to go maybe about 10, 12 games before they insert Kawhi into that starting lineup and he feels comfortable, then they should still have time. And, I mean, God willing, everybody's healthy. Then you can kind of figure out where your team is. Now, we've talked a bunch about Kawhi. Let's go a little deeper on PG and what you've seen from him to start because I think it's tough to go into yesterday's game because if he's already been declared out for tomorrow with that non-COVID illness, I wonder how much it affected him yesterday because it's the second night of a back-to-back. You know, it's one of those things like when you pull an all-nighter, you feel tired the next day, obviously. He was a workhorse in that game where he put up 40 points, and the next day, he very well could have been sick while playing the second night of a back-to-back. And so I kind of want to give him a pass for yesterday's game. But that being said, he hasn't been the guy that we expected him to be in two of the three games. What are your thoughts on what we're getting from PG so far? And the fact that he came in thinking he was the number two, but now he's got to be the number one. That's got to confuse the guy in terms of how he goes into a game mentally, right? Um, I... Well, well, for starters, um, kind of was discussing with some of the people on the Clippers beat who were in the locker room post game, and they could not tell that Paul George was under the weather hmm. in any way. Um, he didn't mention it, so um, I, I, I would hope and imagine that he was healthy enough to play yesterday, and um, yeah, and maybe he was under the weather and didn't tell anybody, but um, nevertheless. I think that Paul, by nature, is an unselfish player, especially for someone who has the talent and size that he has. Um, and I think that is what Ty Lu was alluding to post game um, after the Kings' victory, in which he had forty points and he took like thirty one shots. Um, he's someone that is very much willing to take a back seat to Kawhi, and. Not only is that not what we need now, but even if Kawhi Leonard is back and he's healthy, um, I would still want uh, Paul George to be more aggressive and have the approach as if he's the number one guy, because I think his talent level warrants it. And I think we, I, I said it on Twitter, we are better off with two guys being, um, Kawhi Leonard level good versus one guy, you know what I mean? And if you naturally walk into games and situations where you're thinking like you're the number two option, when you have to be the number one option, it's kind of, it's kind of a culture shock a little bit. You kind of have to snap out of being the, as he said, the glue guy, right? Um, Post game against the Kings. He said he loves being the glue guy. And I'm just like, Man, I don't want to hear that from you, man. You, you're Paul George, you know, and I think that's what Ty Lue tries to get into his head. And, you know, Paul is someone who whatever difficulties he has on a basketball floor, it's totally between the ears because he has the skill level to do it all. And so I think especially in the early going um, as as not just um, Kawhi, but guys like Norm and Reggie, guys like that trying to make get their way into the season, getting their feet wet. Paul is someone whose skill level suggests that he needs to be more aggressive. And that's something that doesn't come natural to him. And it didn't come natural to him in um, Indiana. 
It didn't come natural to him when he was in Oklahoma City, except for the year he won MVP. And even when he was, even when he's been with the Clippers, he's had like moments where you're just wondering, like, we're playing the Lakers opening night and you're four for 12 in like 35 minutes. Why are you taking 12 shots? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all. And like, he's he's just he's just very passive by nature and he's someone that um his skill level has him at a certain point but if he had just a more dogmatic aggressive approach to the game um i think he could be just maybe 10 percent better and so um I'm I'm hoping that the next time we see him on the floor, um, he takes heed to what Ty Lu has been trying to preach to him, which is that you don't take a backseat to anybody when you're as good as Paul George. Um, we need him to be the best version of himself to win a title. And the best version of Paul George is um, a top 10, maybe even top eight guy, but he can't get to that point if he's passive and and he has games where he's taking like 11 shots in 34 minutes. It's just, that's just, this just befuddling to me for someone of his talent level. And so the start of the season has been, um, for me personally, really frustrating to watch when it comes to ball because he's someone who's so much better than what he's shown in two out of the three games. And so hopefully the next time we see him, he's taking a more aggressive approach and he's helping us um, kick the chains down the field as we wait for Kawhi Leonard to actually come back into this season. Yeah, he needs to be that guy that is an alpha and he is the one B to Kawhi's 1A. It's not the number two. He needs to be that 1B guy. So I'd like to hopefully see him when he does come back from whatever this illness is, just take over and be that guy. I mean, I understand the Clippers have a lot of dudes that can get it done offensively, whether you're looking at Reggie Jackson, John Law, point guard, you're looking at Marcus Morris, who you mentioned has had a really good start. You're looking at what Zoo's doing. Look at Norman Powell. I mean, the Clippers have a lot. I agree with you, by the way. Sorry to interrupt, but I agree with you about Zoo being the third most important player. Yeah, and and we'll we'll talk talk about him in just a second. It's just one of those things with with PG where he just needs to be that guy. He needs to understand he's an all-NBA guy, and all-NBA guys don't take back seats. I mean, they go and they get theirs. I mean, they figure out a way to go out and score, and so we'll see when PG comes back if he can be that guy because the Clippers are going nowhere to start. Um, while they're managing Kawhi if PG's not that guy. And they've won two of three games. They've been fortunate to win two of three games. I mean, I didn't think they played well at all against the Lakers. They gave the Lakers a chance to be in that game when the Lakers, frankly, suck. And Sacramento, they, they gave a chance to the Kings to come back. And it's just one of those things where they're not playing well. It's to be expected when you are trying to figure things out on the fly. This is the NBA. If you don't come up, if you don't show up and play well, you're going to get beaten. Uh, and that that's why OKC looks like easy wins. But if you don't show up, then a team may beat you. So we'll see how they look. But I do want to talk about a couple of guys that have started off well and what has stood out to you the most. Um, who has stood out to you the most when you look at Zoo, Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard, and John Wall? Because I think those are four guys that I want to touch on before we end this podcast. Is four different guys I think I agree with you have looked really good. I think John Wall's burst have been has been great. His confidence is there, which is really important for the Clippers. His energy is there. Luke Kennard is a guy that I said very well could be expendable because I didn't see him as a guy that when you get to the postseason is in that eight-man rotation. I think that the way he is shooting, if he does shoot like that, he will find himself in that eight-man rotation because guess what? You can't 
you can't sit offense. And if Luke Kennard is going to be that guy, then that's going to be really helpful to the Clippers. Marcus Morris is someone that has been the number one guy in New York, and we've seen it. He's done it against the Clippers, and he can be that guy. And then Zoo, man, we talk about it every single time that I have you on when we talk about Zoo. He's just a guy that gets better and better and needs to play, and the defense is drastically better, and the rebounding's drastically better when he's on the floor. So those are four guys that have started off well. Who sticks out to you the most that you want to chat about? Well, I do want to say that the Clippers had a top 10 defense last year, despite little Paul George and no Kawhi Leonard. And to start the season, they are like the 29th offense, but they are the eighth defense, despite Paul George being what he's done this year. And despite um, Kawhi Leonard um, not playing much, and there's a constant there and it's zoo. It's zoo. And I think our small ball hasn't looked as good as it as one may think. And <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, but <clears throat> it's not but gonna I, look good, by the way, until Kawhi is just acclimated, right. I feel like. Right. And and so I'm of the belief that um zoo has really I I would normally say that zoo is the one who stood out the most, but He's always this good. Like yeah. he, the only problem with him is Ty Lue's propensity to want to play small because all, all, um, all Zoo needs is minutes. Honestly, he's that rock solid. He's that rock steady. I think he'd be a walking double double if he played like thirty minutes a night. But <clears throat> all of those guys have stood out in a myriad of ways, and all of those guys being in the rotation suggests that once Kawhi gets acclimated into this season, we're going to take off because that's a lot of guys that even underneath the surface of our rough start offensively, they, they, they're showing signs of life. They're showing a very real pulse. But um, John, John has like really, I've been blown away. I've been blown away by um, his speed, his rim pressure, um, his passing. Um, he's just been, he's just been incredible to watch. And we, he's, I think the reason why I said John is because he's the one out of those four who has the highest ceiling and like, man, he looks, he looks physically like he's lost maybe not even half a step, you know? So if we're getting, if we're getting this version of John wall, then when everyone's healthy, when Kawhi Leonard is playing 30 minutes a night next to John and Paul is playing next to John, um, it just it just really makes you think um, he's he's someone that um, projects to be incredibly complimentary and provides something that we don't have anywhere else on the roster as far as his downhill attack, his rim pressure and his ability to get to the free throw line. And I think when he is playing more minutes with Kawhi Leonard, when he's playing more minutes with um, Paul and and things like that, um, I think I think we'll only just take off. So he stood out to me the most. Um, but Luke Kennard has also um, stood out to me as well. Um, as you said, he was someone that um, a lot of people thought, myself included, may be on the move because his skill set was duplicative. Yeah. But what we're seeing. Um, to start the year is not that at all, right? Um, he's actually attacking closeouts and he's actually getting paint touches off the dribble. Um, he's initiated offense a ton to start the year when he's been on the floor. Um, 
I know we, I know Paul George has caught a couple of lobs. Um, he caught one in Sacramento and he caught one against Phoenix in those situations. Luke Kennard was the point guard that got us into our set to get that, um, get that set rolling. And so he's been a screener. Um, he's been playing out a short role. He's just been, he's shown himself to be a lot more versatile than just a shooter. And I think that has helped big time as far as him finding a stable place in the rotation. And also I want, I was telling this to um, my brother the other day. I think when talking about Luke Kennard going into this year, a lot of people just forgot how much Ty loves shooters. Um, even down when he was in Cleveland, how much he leaned on Kyle Korver, who was literally closing games in the NBA finals because Ty loved his shooting that much. And so um, no, remembering that, um, it makes sense why he's been a big prominent member of the rotation to start. And he's proved it. He's he's live he's living up to it so far. And I've been happy to see confident Luke. Um he's taking guys off the dribble. He's obviously shooting the ball, but he's operating at a short row. Um he's being he's playing a little bit of point guard for us, initiating offense. So um Luke and John have uh sounds like a Bible verse, Luke and John. <laughs> but um <laughs> but uh those two have stood out to me the most and as far as wall is concerned um if he has as much juice as he's shown to start the season i think um it bodes well for us later in the season and into the playoffs so um i know Kawhi has us down a little bit from a morale perspective but i think there's a lot to like here that like when we get 20 games into the season we're going to take off Small sample size for John Wall, but he's 7-15 of in the first game, 7-12 of in the second game. That's over 51% so far from the field. He's gone 15 or more in his two games that he played in, three-plus assists in both games and a steal in both games. So he's certainly making an impact when you look at what he brings. And like you said, more than just the numbers, it's how he looks, and he looks really good. And if you can have that guy in John Wall that is that dude – that is 70% of what he was at his peak, you've got yourself a really damn good basketball player. And especially if he knows his role and he doesn't have to be that number one guy that's going to chuck up 20 to 25 shots a game and hurt his field goal percentage and hurt your field goal percentage, then it's a really good position. Now, the one thing that I do want to go um, and hit on, and there's two things. I want to talk about Luke for a second. I want to talk about Zoo for a second. Quick hit on Zoo. And my question is to you, you can't really put a number on it because you don't know how games are going to go. But minutes-wise, does he deserve to play as much as a Kawhi PG? Because there's been talk about his minutes and how many minutes he should be playing and how much better the Clippers look. I think the short bursts of the death lineup, small ball, are good. But I do think that Zoo should be averaging close to 30 minutes per game. Your thoughts on the minutes and how much he should be playing each night? I mean, if it were up to me, he'd be playing 30 minutes a night. That's for sure. Um, I I just, I think um, our, our small ball is just simply not where it needs to be right now, which is also okay. Um, I'm confident that um, 
would that that will get to a place where it's dynamo um it's just too much shooting and too much athleticism from a basketball perspective not to be but at this current juncture especially um we just look like we don't know what we're doing when zoo is on when zoo is off the floor um really on both ends but especially defensively um so i i I would say that, um, yeah, I'm in total agreement that he needs to play 30 minutes or more. Um, I think Ty Lue is a fantastic coach. He's one of the three best coaches in basketball, but he does lean a little too hard into small ball. And I think Zoo is someone that, um, unless he's shown that he just simply can't hang with what's on the floor, um, I think he um, acquits himself very well in a variety of um, circumstances. And so for that reason, I don't see a big need to not play him 30 minutes a night. Um, we're so much better when he's on the floor. Um, and so at least until Kawhi Leonard is playing 30 minutes a night and uh, and he's ready, he's ready to go full board, um, looking towards zoo would be um my my thinking so i'm in a total agreement with you right now zoo is just under 27 minutes per game and obviously in night one there was anthony davis and he ended up playing 35 minutes in the two games since 24 and 21 and the 21 obviously can't really look at that one because phoenix kind of blew him out but just not good enough and it feels like the extra three to four minutes that he could average would be important and especially towards the end of games because it feels like he's kind of being isolated and sitting on the bench um, at points at the end of games when, frankly, a game against Sacramento, I thought you needed to be on the floor. You had the lead. And when you have a lead late in the game, you don't need to go small. You need guys that are going to get rebounds and they're going to be good defensively. And so Zoo needs to play in games when you're leading is my thought on that. I, I understand going small and you need offense, but when you need defense and you need stops... I feel like you got to play Zoo later in games. That makes sense, right? Oh, it it, it makes total sense. Um, that's the way you protect the lead, right? Yeah. With one shot, making sure guys limiting that offensive team to one stop, yeah. and making sure that you're protecting the rim. That's 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 and there's nobody on the team that's better at limiting. Um, the offense to one shot and making sure you clean up your defensive backboard. So. Um, that is a hundred percent, in my opinion, why the game in Sacramento was closer than it needed to be, and it's a it's a potentially nasty omen moving forward if we're leaning into small ball to that degree. But um, we'll see, we'll see. Let me ask you something, and we'll close out the podcast on this one. And we talked about Luke Kennard and how he's a guy that um, Ty Lu is going to play shooters, and so you mentioned Kyle Korver. How does the lineup make sense when you put Luke on the floor with Kawhi and PG? I feel like you may need to go without a point guard at times when you have Luke on the floor and just have PG and Kawhi handle the ball. Because if you put a point guard on there, let's just assume it's John Wall. Wall, Kennard, Kawhi, PG, and then we talked about Zoo and how Zoo needs to get a bunch of minutes. That means that Powell, Covington, Batum, Morris, those guys are not on the floor. So what lineup do you think makes the most sense? What type of lineup makes the most sense? Especially just look ahead to playoff time. With Kennard, if he's able to crack the rotation, who does he make the most sense alongside? Um, It's hard to say because a lot of this is going to be matchup dependent. 
But I'll say in a vacuum, um, yeah. Luke's versatility has made other people redundant, not him. And so um, you're looking at um, someone who's a 45-ish percent three-point shooter who holds up well, I think, as a team defender and who also um, is able to play some point and is a um, and and can operate out of short role as a, as a, as a screener, which is something that Tyloo likes to do a lot as far as small small pick and rolls. And so, um, if we're projecting all the way to the playoffs, that that's hard given we don't know obviously who who they would be playing, what the matchups would look like. But I, I'll what I will say is that if the first three games are any indication, um his versatility that he's showing um, can allow him to be on the floor more and it will allow him to be a part of more, more positive lineups, which, you know, coming into the season, I'm not sure you would have, you would have thought, right? Like he he's now another, I think a potential point guard um, that, that in times of need, maybe he's playing that spot or maybe he can play the two alongside wall, as you were mentioning in the playoffs or something like that. But that's just, this just all, all alludes to his versatility. And whereas like someone like Terrence Mann, who has certain things that he's great at, but he also, but there are certain things that he's not great at. Whereas Luke Kennard chips in, in a multitude of ways. So um, I, I think this is just um, pointing towards Luke's versatility, which is something to watch moving forward. It's fascinating, Justin, because this team is so deep and we just talked about a bunch of players. Obviously we did barely mention Terrence, man, you brought him up. I didn't. Um, and I love talking about team man. We didn't bring up Amir coffee at all. And you know how much you loved Amir coffee last year. You were saying Amir yeah. coffee over team man at parts of the season it's it's interesting. This team certainly has its luxuries of depth, but at the same time, you have guys that are just not seeing many minutes that are very capable to help out. And so it's going to be interesting for Ty Lue to figure out which player is best at what and who looks the best with who. And going back to the beginning of the podcast, you need Kawhi back in order to figure out who looks the best with who because Kawhi is going to be a part of all those lineups when you need him. So Kawhi, PG, and then figure out the other three around them. And if we add Zoo in there, it's figuring out the other two. It's going to be difficult. It's a really tough coaching job, Justin, but it'll be fun to see how it plays out over the course of the season. Yeah, I I mean, that's why Tyloo makes the big bucks yep. because that it's a genuinely, it's genuinely a, I think he said it, um, I think he said it to Law or someone where he said, he laughed and said, yeah, this is definitely the hardest part of the job from yep. a rotation standpoint. Um, it's even harder when the best player is um, in flux the way he is right now. So it's, it's just an impossible task. And um, that's what we have 79 games for. And, um, you know, in some ways, illness, personal reasons with Marcus Moore, some best wishes to him and his family. Yeah. Um, in some ways, you hope in a real weird way, certain injuries and guys not playing back to backs um, sort some of this out. But um, there's no way around it. It's a great problem to have, but it's still a problem. And um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be Ty Lue because there's just there's. There's a lot of guys that deserve playing time. 
that lineup tomorrow is going to be really interesting. And for those people that are listening, it's going to be today that the game's happening against Oklahoma City. No Marcus Morris, he's a starter. No Paul George, he's a starter. So that starting lineup's going to be really interesting. You're going to have, obviously, I would assume Batum would slide in there to go along with Zoo, Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell, and then who that fifth guy, um, whether it's Kennard, whether it's T-Man, whether it's Rocco, it'll be really interesting to see what um, Ty Lue decides to do. But it's going to be fun watching the rest of the season play out. Always great to have you on the podcast, Justin, at LA Clippers Film on Twitter. Justin is simply the best and love having him on. Check out his work with the Lob the Jam podcast. They do a phenomenal job as well. 213 Hoops, a great establishment. Friend of the podcast, Shap, has been tremendous in what he has done over there and coordinating that podcast side. So check out Justin. He's going to make a bunch of appearances over there as well as appearances here. So check him out and make sure that you follow him on Twitter because he's a great follow. Justin. Always great having you on, man. Pleasure is all mine. Looking forward to uh, a great season that hopefully ends in a ring. Yes, sir. You can follow me on Twitter at BDMarcusJustin at LA Clippers Film. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Make sure you follow Ethos Clippers as well. Big thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back again at some point, probably towards the end of the week. I know I mentioned that we're going to have a podcast after that first game, but just... Wasn't able to make that work um, due to family stuff that's been going on. Obviously, people that know, listening to the podcast, uh, the whole family, I was dealing with COVID, but we're all finally past it. So we are ready to uh, talk Clippers basketball. So for Justin, I'm Brandon. Until next time, go Clips. Go Clips.